Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Missing and Unexplained podcast. I hope you enjoyed the first Halloween episode, Talking Phantom Ships, with my friend and author, Shannon Sin. In this second Halloween special, I talked to Brian Weed, a local historian and creator of the Facebook group, Juno's Hidden History. For the past while, I've been enthralled with a town referred to as Portlock, Alaska, or more accurately, Port Chatham. But for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to stick with Portlock. Throughout the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, strange things happened in this small oceanside town on the Alaskan Kenai Peninsula. Portlock was a seemingly quiet cannery town, but people started to go missing while others were found seemingly brutally murdered. Rumors began to circulate of a large Yeti-like creature stalking the woods. There were reports of hunters finding man-like tracks 18 inches in length. People claimed to see and hear a wailing spirit wandering the woods. By the late 1940s, people started to leave the town of Portlock. It became a ghost town after that. I talked to Brian Weed to find out what may have happened and gone on at Portlock. Here's our conversation. I'm uh, I'm rolling, so I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, first, I want to thank you for for doing this and coming on the show. Um, I didn't really well, we don't know each other, and I, I kind of found you online uh, and reached out because I wanted to talk about um, Portlock, and uh, you, your your name keep coming up. So thanks for doing this, and uh, I want to know a bit more about you. You have a Facebook page called Juno's Hidden History, but uh, you know, give me some more info. Like, what do you do for work, and uh, you know, give me a sense of who you are. Uh, well, my name is Brian Weed. I was uh, born and raised in Southeast Alaska. Um, born and raised in Juneau. Uh, I left for multiple multiple times and kept finding my way back to Juneau. Uh, I was in law enforcement for about fifteen years and uh, uh, recently had my midlife crisis at forty and uh, switched over to becoming a weather observer for the FAA at the Juneau International Airport. 
Oh wow, that's uh, that's really fascinating. Where, where does the because um, it seems like you you got a passion for history as well. Where does that come from? Is that just like a hobby for you, or um, it's kind of always been a hobby? Um, the the group Juno's Hidden History started about eight years ago. Uh, of course, I was doing law enforcement, but about that time, I was working at a maximum security prison in Juno, and I was working the max unit, and you don't move a lot. It's a lot of sitting, monitoring cameras, and then kind of walking up and down this hallway. And uh, you start to pack on the pounds over the years. So <laughs> I was I was getting close to about 300 pounds. Wow. Uh, I think my heavi- heaviest was uh, 278. And uh, it was time to do something about it. So I figured, okay, you know, on my off days, I was going to go hiking, no sitting around watching TV, playing video games or whatever. It was going to go get out and do what I used to do as a kid. And so I started hiking all over Southeast Alaska and combined it with photography and kind of hiked everything in my area. And in Juneau, that's pretty hard to do because there's probably about 200 trails in Juneau and uh, ran out of trails. And um, so I was like, okay, I got to come up with something else. I didn't want to, I tried going to gyms and stuff and working out and I didn't like gyms. Um, So I remembered as a kid, I went to a couple abandoned mines, uh, gold mines. My dad would make me go to work with him on Douglas Island. And uh, it had the largest hard rock gold mine in the world for the whole industrial age from about, oh, 1885 to about 1920. And then mainland Juneau had the, the biggest mine from about 1920 to 1946. And we got a lot of mine tunnels here. And uh, I used to just go and explore them. So I figured as an adult, I would go see how many gold mines I could find, take pictures of them, uh, research the history, document them, what kind of cool stuff are nearby, are there any roads left, um, what they look like on the inside. So I got into underground flash photography and uh, dark places and that kind of stuff and started crawling around in mine tunnels and ended up creating this group Juno's Hidden History, so I didn't have to do it by myself. Wow, that's that's really, really cool. Um, that's, yeah, that's a, a an original origin story for a history Facebook group. Um, that's really, really cool. Um, let's get into Portlock a little bit, because again, that's how I, I came across your name. Um, before we get into kind of the history and, and the stories that I want to want to tell um, or, or talk with to you, where is Portlock? Like, can you give me a sense of the geography? Like, I'm not from Alaska, so, you know, I had to kind of go online and look at a map and even just kind of figure out um, where it was. Can you can you give the listener a sense of, you know, where is Portlock and, you know, what's the geography like? What's the weather like? That sort of thing. So that's a tough one. If you're from Alaska and I say the Kenai Peninsula, people from Alaska know where that is. Um, and we also need to clarify, are we going to call this Portlock or are we going to call this Port Chatham? Well, uh, Portlock was the name of the cannery, and Port Chatham was the name of the town. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a good um, uh, technicality to bring up because it's Port. I think well, maybe we'll say Portlock because we are going to talk about that time when it was named uh, 
Portlock, right? Because it was it was during the 30s and 40s um, that that was what it was named, and then it, it became the other one. Port was it Chatham? Was that afterwards, like in the 1950s? Port Chatham, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we can you can use either or. I mean, um, it's been flagged now, so the listener will know. I'll probably use Portlock just because that's kind of where my brain is at with this. Um, but okay. Um, okay. but please, yeah, so use port- whatever whatever you want. So. Portlock itself, is, as the crow flies, is about 150 miles southwest of Anchorage, Alaska's largest city. And the closest major city to Portlock is Homer, Alaska, which is about 35 miles away. Um, but just giving these miles like 150 miles doesn't sound very far, and 35 miles doesn't sound very far. Um, but the Kenai Peninsula is kind of hard to describe. There's winding roads tall mountains and large bodies of ocean on like all sides of you because the road follows the shoreline um so the road from like anchorage to homer for example isn't straight um it takes like four and a half hours to drive it and it's it's over 200 miles of road um so as the crow flies port lock is 150 miles southwest to anchorage but really if you were going to go overland you're probably looking at 350 miles um, so it, it's kind of hanging right on the tip of this peninsula, right next to the Gulf of Alaska. And it's remote. And like, it, it made it a... I was just going to say it's, it's... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, I think we got to emphasize, too, that it is it is fairly remote when I was looking at it on a map. Like you said, Homer is, you know, it's 35, 40 miles away, but there's not much around it other than wilderness and water, Right. Right. Uh, we're talking tall mountains. Um, the shoreline's very rugged. There's no roads from Portlock to Homer. Uh, if you were to go from Homer to Portlock, you're either going to take a float plane and land on the ocean on a nice day, um, or you're going to take a fairly good-sized boat. Um, it's open ocean. You're right in the last opening before the Gulf of Alaska. So uh, you can have up to 40-foot waves rolling in there on a bad day. Wow. Have you been? Have you been up there? Yeah. I've, so I had friends in Homer, and my friends in Homer and I went to Portlock just to see what it was like because everybody, you know, on Reddit and Facebook and Instagram always talk about Portlock and how mysterious it was. And so we wanted to see see it for ourselves. And a buddy of mine had a big boat, and so we went down and checked it out. That must have been uh, a pretty interesting experience, given what we're going to talk about next. What was your, I guess there's not much left there, but what was your impression of it when you visited? Um, well, so when I went there, there wasn't as much as I thought there'd be, for one. Um, what... What's a good way to put it? There's only one building still standing. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's some rectangles on the ground that you can see uh, where some of the building ruins are. There's some old bottles, um, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, there's nothing really man-made there hardly at all anymore. It's funny. With those... um, so it's kind of gone back to wilderness in... Let's see. The post office shut down in 51. We're in 2021. So with that... 70 years? Yeah. Yeah, it probably is. So in 70, 70 years, there's nothing there now. 
Yeah, it's probably too one of those things I find when you do go to those places, it's always a little underwhelming because you're like, oh, yeah, this it's been 70 years and nothing's happened here. You know, it's just kind of all overgrown. Um, but that's really cool. That It sounds like it's really difficult to get to. So I imagine it's not necessarily a popular spot for um, locals to check out. Like you said, you can't really drive there. So it, it sounds like a bit of a, a, a chore to even try and get in the area. Right. I do get contacted frequently by uh, writers and people that want to base a book out of Port Lock, and they contact me and ask me how hard it is to get there, and I let them know they're going to spend several thousand dollars for a float plane to just land there and hang out while they explore. Um, your best bet is to charter a boat, but then you're looking at multi-day. Um, you're going to spend probably probably on the low end $5,000 just to spend a few days there exploring. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely not tangible for a lot of people. Um, so let's get into the history of it because it's an interesting town. Um, I believe it was uh, a cannery originally. Can you tell me a little bit about how the town was created and why? Um, yeah, so Portlock, you know, being right near the Gulf of Alaska, it was like the perfect place for a cannery. Um, however, it opened up as a cod and halibut kind of cold storage plant where they froze or chilled fish for transport. And then just to the north at Port Graham, uh, which is about 15 miles away, uh, was the actual cannery. Um, and then over time, Portlock opened its own cannery. Um, good grief. I want to say that's like uh, 1930, 1928. I think there were two canneries at one time. Um, and that's kind of how the town got started was it was this uh, cold storage plant for fish. And then the canneries opened up. There was then timber in the area. So you have timber, you have soon to be mining. About two years later, a mine opened up just south of town. And then you had two canneries. So people in little villages nearby would move to Portlock for jobs and money. Um, and then... Uh, good grief. It was, it had to have been in 1920 or 1921, the post office opened. And that's about when it became a, an official city. And do you know, like, roughly, are we talking, you know, a few thousand people, tens of thousands? Like, I'm, it sounds like it was at one point in time, a bit of a bustling place. Um, well, bustling for Alaska could be 50 people. Um, <laughs> I've explored a lot of ghost towns over the years and, Pretty much, if you had 50 people in your town, the federal government would recognize it as a town. Uh, a lot of times you'd have a post office if you had 50 people in the town. Wow. Um, Portlock, I've never seen any official numbers on how big it was, but I cannot imagine it was over 300 people. Okay, so um, a fair amount. With, with the building ruins that I've seen and what's in the area, um, there were a couple villages to the north in the same kind of bay. Um, and my guess is those people traveled back and forth to work uh, or lived in a small village right next to the cannery at the time. Okay, that makes sense. Um, well, I guess, you know, if it wasn't for these stories and some of the folklore we're going to talk about now, no one would really give this town a second thought if they, you know, weren't living there or knew anything about it. But it's these stories, these missing people that go missing and some people that are found um, dead around the town that kind of creates um, 
some 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 whispering of of strange things happening. Can you tell me a little bit about what what some of these strange things are, and then we'll kind of get into some of the the theories and and the rationale a little later. But you know what is because I've read a couple of newspaper articles, and it seems like there was multiple strange things happening, like people going missing, people showing up dead. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure can. And and to be fair, Alaska, I think the latest stat is two thousand people go missing every year. In Alaska currently um, so people just vanish in Alaska uh, there's not roads everywhere you go wandering off into the woods and something happens and you die it's really hard to find somebody even if they're right next to a road because you have to have a reason to stop there to go explore in the woods to find somebody um, and a lot of these old gold mine towns or fishing towns uh, there was no law enforcement so if you got mad at your neighbor and you two got in a fist fight and somebody pulled a gun and shot the other guy, no one was going to come around and wonder where the other guy was. That you know, <laughs> the U.S. Marshals weren't coming in and swooping down and arresting you. I mean, you could just say the guy had a fishing accident and you found him dead alongside the water or something, and people believed it. Right. Yeah, um, that makes with, sense. So with these little small towns that popped up all over, you know, accidents happen. Uh, people people died. There wasn't always doctors. So, you know, you could cut yourself in your mine and you're 20 miles from the nearest town and you die on your way to get medical help. Um, but lots of weird things happened around Portlock that just didn't add up. Um, uh, people would go missing. They uh, found injuries on, on the dead people that they'd find where it just looked like it couldn't have been man-made. Like, for example, uh, I, I wrote down some that I, I've researched over the years. Uh, in the 1920s, there was a man named Albert uh, Pitka, and he claimed he was scared off by a hairy creature, um, you know, and and then he received multiple injuries, and... And it just couldn't be explained, like, what he saw, what had happened. Um, he had a fatal blow to the chest and managed to explain on his deathbed what happened, that he had seen a large, hairy creature that had just basically slammed him right in the chest and caved in his chest cavity. Yes. Um, they found multiple bodies in the creeks nearby. Uh, their heads and arms had been ripped off. Um there was even a, a weird story of a, a woman dressed all in black on the cliffs above town. And and she would wail and moan like during storms uh, near Portlock. And so there's everything from from like a Yeti like creature or a Bigfoot to like ghosts and spirits like taunting this town. Um. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you, the problem is you're in a small little town, and there really is no written history of the town. So no one was documenting these incidents; they're all word of mouth. And of course, with the telephone game, when you tell a story to one person, the next person embellishes it a little, and it gets crazier and crazier as time goes on. Um. But there were gold miners who disappeared. Uh, there was a mine just southwest of Portlock. Uh, several murders happened there where they don't know how the people died, but they definitely were found dead. Um, and it was always blunt force trauma. That's really, um, uh, really interesting. Of, yeah. Keep going. A lot of hunters would go off into the woods and just never come back. But back then that was a common thing, too, because... You know, what you would be hunting with would probably be a .30-06 rifle, which isn't quite big enough to take down a bear. And there's huge bears in the area. So if you piss off a bear, the bear could end up attacking the hunter, kill the hunter, and then, of course, the hunter doesn't come back. The bear found something to eat, and people never find the hunter again. Um, probably the craziest story I ever heard was in the 1940s. There was a group of hunters, and they were tracking a moose in the area. And... They ended up finding what is described as like Bigfoot footprints, 18 inches long. And they get to a meadow, and in the meadow, the moose is just like ripped apart. And chunks of the moose look like they've just been dragged off into the woods. And and they're talking chunks of like the whole rear end of the moose, not like just a leg. So we're talking like, I don't know, 400 pounds of moose. Wow. So if it's a bear, it's a pretty big bear in the area. Uh, but the hunters described, you know, 18-inch long human-like footprints. And these accounts, they're coming from, like you said, there is no um, official history that, as far as we can tell about the town. Um, you know, is I think I saw some of it in the, the newspapers, but, you know, how is how are these stories getting out there? Like, how have you found through, how have you done your research, basically? I'm curious, like, you know, has it just been newspaper clippings or, um, you know, other, other sources that you, you've had to consult? Uh, there's still some elders that, well, I don't, I don't know if they're actually still alive anymore. Last time I talked to them was probably eight years ago. Uh, but there's still some elders in Homer because when Portlock shut down, most everybody moved to Homer. Uh, people packed up their stuff and left. And if you figure it shut down during World War II era, you're going to find, you know, some teenagers that are now, you know, who knows how old, 80-something um, years old now. I guess they'd be even 90. Um, 
but they lived in the area. So, you know, you have, you're hearing it from a child's perspective when they lived in Portlock. Um, so once again, with the telephone game, of course, the stories are probably embellished or, you know, they've been telling the same story over and over again. And, you know, they, they forget things. And, but one thing's for sure is many people died in Portlock and they don't know why that happened. Yeah, that seems to be the crux of the mystery uh, for me as well. The, was it because of people dying, going missing? Was that part of the reason the town shut down sometime in the 40s? Hello, nerds. Come listen to the History Nerds United podcast and let's make history fun again. We interview today's best authors, whether they are established Pulitzer Prize winners or someone debuting their first book. Let us show you that history is not a boring class you took in high school, but a place where the best stories come from. And we don't just cover history. We also love to chat about true crime, biographies, memoirs, and so much more. So head on over to History Nerds United and let us introduce you to your new favorite book and learn the story behind the story. History Nerds. Well, yes and no. Uh, a lot of things shut down in Alaska and all over the United States during World War II. So you have World War II that could have ended the town. You have possible murders that could have ended the town. Um, what else was going on during that time? Um, the chrome mine uh, to the southwest was doing really well during World War II. They actually stayed open until after World War II, so it wasn't mining. Uh, fishing... Uh, right after World War II, uh, we started to build bigger and bigger boats. And so you didn't need the canneries anymore, or you didn't need so many. You didn't need all the refrigeration and type, type stuff because the technology after World War II got really good. Um, and so much like all the other ghost towns I've explored, you know, you look around 1940s, 1950s, a lot of these ghost towns dried up. Um, but... Portlock, it, it really seems like everybody packed up real quick. Uh, the stories talk about how it happened in a day, uh, but for my research, it looked like it happened over about six months. Uh, the cannery shut down. There still would have been timber. There still would have been local fishing. And right about that time, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, the king crab fishing was getting really big in Alaska. So for me, it doesn't make sense to shut down uh, a fish canning uh, processing facility that also does refrigeration uh, when the king crabs were just getting big and popular during that time, which are caught right out in the Bering Sea. Um, so not really sure why it packed up so quickly. Uh, the last person to be there was in 1951, and that was the postmaster. He was the last person to shut down, and he was just waiting for the okay from the federal government to close the building. Oh, it would have been amazing if someone had interviewed him, um, and there was a record of that out there somewhere. Um, maybe there is. I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of like folklore and myths surrounding Portlock. You know, I was reading, uh, I think you, you kind of mentioned the elders, the local, uh, you know, indigenous population talked about, um, you know, this, this creature, this Yeti like creature. And I'm wondering, you know, those are, those are fun things to entertain and think about in terms of, you know, um, making it a, a compelling mystery, but I'm a bit of a skeptic. I don't know about you. Um, I, I tend to try and find the more 
you know, rational reason for, you know, why strange things are happening. I'm wondering from your research, and you've studied this town a lot more than I have, what do you think was going on? Do you have a theory or, you know, do you think it is, it really is a mystery that we, we just don't know the answer to? Well, I've never seen uh, any kind of Yeti or large creature. I've never been able to explain. Um, but I always suggest people go see a YouTube video. And it really plays with your mind. It's of a black bear that has a wounded front paw. And this black bear wanders around this town on its hind legs 100% of the time. It walks around like a person. And when you first see this video, your brain kind of goes, what's that? And you can't make sense that that is a bear walking around like a person. It looks like a man in a suit. And, and I've always thought, because brown bears can live anywhere from 20 to 35 years old in the wild, that it is very possible there was a brown bear that had a front foot injury due to trapping. And so now you have a brown bear that can be up to, you know, 15 feet tall, standing straight up and down, walking around on its hind legs. And, and your mind would just go crazy seeing something like that, seeing something walking around like a person that's 15 feet tall and covered with hair. That would be terrifying. Yeah. And so I think that's a possibility that people saw. Um, There's definitely huge bears in the area. Uh, I think some of it could be the local indigenous population had stories of giant men or Kustika, or there was these half otter, half men, um, and all the stories kind of go along with don't go out at night. And nighttime was to be feared back then, you know, several hundred years ago, you didn't have a lot of light. If you went out at night and you tripped and fell and you're a couple hundred feet from your cabin and you don't have a light going in your cabin, you can't find your way back to your cabin. <laughs> so... You know, people discouraged traveling at night, which I think where some of these stories actually come from. Um, about the woman in the dress and the black the black clothes, uh, uh, the villagers who worked at the cannery talked about this spirit woman. And they said she was very pale, she wore black clothes, and she would come out on the cliffs above town. Um, and then they'd hear some other noise, and she would scream and then disappear. And so there's all kinds of weird ghost-type things and Bigfoot all central around Portlock. But it really makes me wonder if there was somebody spreading those rumors. And I've always thought there was a serial killer in Portlock. A, a serial killer? That's uh, I, had, I had not read that. Tell me more about how you deduce that. So you have all these stories, but there's nothing to back it up. You have all these deaths. But there's very, very little printed evidence. I could find a few things in some of the Anchorage newspapers, but it, you know, it usually came like months after the fact. You know, somebody traveling from Homer to Anchorage, you know, tells a story kind of thing, and it runs in the paper. You know, news didn't travel fast back then in Alaska. Um, So it would be pretty easy for a serial killer living in Portlock to spread rumors about stuff they saw or heard, and then 
people start to believe it, and then when they do find somebody chopped to bits, you know, and, and killed or, or bludgeoned over the head, they blame those local legends they've been hearing about. So my theory is that there's been a serial killer living in Portlock during the life of the town. And, you know, maybe eventually people got scared off about the same time the canneries were closing. Or they realized the town was going to become smaller and smaller, making a better chance of them becoming a victim kind of thing, too. And so everybody packed up and left. Yeah, it seems like they're must have been some element of fear in people, you know, as, as other people started to leave, like, you know, um, we, we got to get out of here too. That's so fascinating though. I'd not heard about, um, that theory. Um, yeah. Cause I, I kind of was on the, the bear theory as well. Cause I thought, you know, bears can walk on two legs. It's Alaska. It's, you know, it probably was a really big brown bear. Cause you've got some big, uh, some big bears up there, but, uh, the, the serial killer angle is, uh, interesting. How do you, I mean, you, you said that before the show started, you do, you know, a few of these things and you talk about Portlock a lot. Um, why do you think people are so fascinated by it? Cause I, I, again, I'd never heard of it. And, um, once now that I've heard of it, I can't stop seeing it in places like on Reddit or on Twitter. So I'm just wondering like, um, yeah, what do you make of all, all the, all the kind of the conversation and the, and the hype around, uh, Portlock and its mysteries? Well, it kind of falls under Alaska and its mysteries. Um, Alaska is still a place where you can go and you can be the only person ever to stand in an area. Um, for example, I've explored under glaciers and not like, you know, easy little access ice caves, but rappelling down in holes and then standing on bedrock, you know, 100 meters under a glacier. And you can, you know, you can say you're more than likely the first person to ever stand at that location. And Alaska's like that. You can go to places where very few people have been, and that's mysterious to people. People want to want to still be free, Wild West kind of style. They, you know, I want to homestead and start a farm and do a cabin. That's kind of the big Instagram thing right now is these tiny houses and living off the land and, and going back to nature. Well, in Alaska, you can still do that. So people research Alaska, then they come across, you know, mystery things. What do I have to worry about? And poof, you're looking at Portlock and, uh, you know, Yeti people, big bears, things to watch out for. And it's spooky. Uh, it's kind of like the, um, I always play with this one because I just recently came back from ADAC on the Aleutian chain, uh, the ADAC McDonald's. If you've ever done a lot of researching of Alaska, they just like Portlock, this other place comes up, and it's called Adak. And it's at the end of the Aleutian chain of islands that stick out towards Russia. Mm -hmm. There was a McDonald's out there. And really? the McDonald's is all boarded up now, and it's gone. But basically, there was a, a Navy base out there, and there was a ton of troops out there during the Cold War. And so there was this McDonald's, and now it's shut down, doesn't exist anymore. But people research it because it's cool, and... McDonald's don't tend to shut down, so to find an abandoned McDonald's is, is kind of neat, where here you have this ghost town of Portlock, and you have all these stories that go around it. you got murder, you got death, you know, you have a town that dried up in like six months, um, you have people that were dismembered, you have gold miners that were killed, and people want to know why. And the problem is there, there wasn't a lot of documentation back then. And I think if we had the documentation we have now, we'd probably know exactly what was killing people and what was going on. Uh, but in 1950, Alaska was still real Wild West. I, you know, 
um, you weren't buying stuff at a grocery store in Homer. There probably wasn't a grocery store in Homer at the time. Um, Anchorage hadn't had the giant earthquake yet. Um, so all kinds of things that you see down south in the 50s hadn't reached Alaska yet. Um, so it, it's fascinating for people to research these unsolved mysteries. And the problem is we're so far past when Portlock was a town, I don't know if we'll ever find the answer to these mysteries. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and you know that's it's too bad about documentation because that would that would really help. Um, no, it's fascinating, and and I really want to thank you for for coming on the show to talk about this because it's something that I've wanted to explore, and I might even who knows maybe I'll explore it more in depth going forward. But I thought it being a Halloween kind of year, Portlock would would make sense to to talk about because <laughs> of its uh, its creepiness. So thanks a lot, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, we'll we'll definitely stay in touch. Yeah, no problem. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brian. I highly encourage you to check out his Facebook page, Juno's Hidden History. There are some fascinating stories and content on the page. If you'd like to support the show on a monthly basis, you can stop by my Patreon page. Or if you want to make a one-time contribution, you can buy me a coffee. Both are linked in the description. I'm donating 25% of these funds to both the Veterans Transition Network and the Afghan-Canadian Interpreters as part of my running series on my other podcast, True to the Story. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for another episode of the Missing and Unexplained podcast with me, Tyler Hooper. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.